If you have a Bible this morning, if you want to open up to Acts chapter 16, uh, we are in this series um, called Growing Up, and it's about growing and becoming more mature in our walk and our relationship with Jesus. And what does that mean to become mature in a walk and a relationship with Jesus? It means that we as Christians, our desire, our heart's desire is to reflect who Jesus Christ is, to be more like Jesus. You know, the longer you serve Christ, you would hope that we would grow and mature and that we would look more like Jesus. Um, I don't know about you, but have you ever found that the more time you spend with somebody, the more you become like that person? Have you ever seen that happen in their lives, right? I mean, you know, um, the more time you spend with somebody, you, you, you know, it seems like, you know, the older you become and the older you get, the more you become like that person. I mean, we had a couple here when I first came. Their names were Howard and Geneva, and they passed away over this past year. But they had been married for like 65 years, a long time, and they talked just like one another. They even dressed just like one another. And before they passed away, they wanted to give Debbie and I a lot of their clothes so we could dress alike. And we, <laughs> we kind of put the kibosh on that one, you know, politely. Um, but, you know, um, as Christians, we would hope that the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we would become like him. And that's what growing and maturing looks like, right? Um, that we become more like Jesus. We act like him. We talk like him. A big part of the way that that happens is we spend time with God in the Bible, in his word. Um, we spend time with Jesus in prayer. You know, reading your Bible and spending time in prayer are just about two of the most important things you can do. A lot of people say they're a Christian, but they, don't, they never pray. And I typically find people who say that they're a Christian, but they never pray, are just religious people. But there's really no relationship with Christ. Because that's how we cultivate it, and that's what it looks like to be in a relationship with Christ, is to have a prayer life, and then to respond to life the way that Jesus would have us respond. So that's the series. It's called Growing Up and Maturing, and we've been talking about that for seven weeks now. Um, I titled this message, Miracles at Midnight. Um, there's moments and seasons in our life when we need for God to break through, and you know, we need to, you know, we'd like to see a miracle happen in our lives, and that's what couple people in today's passage, passage experience. Now, so again, if you have Acts, open up to Acts chapter 16, I want to kind of remind you, refresh your memory. Um, the Bible was written by men and who God spoke to them and revealed things to them and that he wanted them to share with the rest of us. And there's a guy named Luke who wrote this book called Acts, A-C-T-S. It's the actions of the early church, the actions of the apostles. In Acts chapter 16, we find the story, there's a guy named Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. And Paul um, took a couple different missionary journeys. He took three specifically that we're aware of. And when he would go out, he would, would share about Christ with people. And they would begin to start little churches, little groups of people that would gather together. Um, sometimes in buildings, in our passage today, um, these Christians would gather down by a river. Uh, matter of fact, Pastor Don wrote about that in our North Point Daily this past week. There's a song that talks about down by the river, and he's, he said he thinks that it was probably referring to this passage. But the Apostle Paul met with people down by a river. So what's going on here is the Apostle Paul, again, who wrote most of the New Testament, is traveling, and he's on his second missionary journey. It's probably been about five years since he first started these churches, and 
he decides to go back out and to strengthen the churches, to speak into them, to help continue to pastor them, um, to just talk to them about life and things going on. And he is with uh, three other companions. There's the Apostle Paul. There is a guy named Silas who was not Jewish. Um, excuse me, who was. And there was a guy named Timothy whose mom was Jewish, but his dad wasn't Jewish. And then there's a guy named Luke who was not Jewish, who was traveling together. And Luke actually wrote this letter, this book. And Luke was a doctor, okay? And so he's writing this letter. And um, he's going to tell the story about what happens Again, on the second missionary journey, it's the Apostle Paul and these three other guys. They're in a city called Philippi. And there's a book, a letter called Philippians. And it was written to this city where they're at, this group of Christians that were meeting there, that were there. Um, some of the other things that were going on in this city that's kind of one other important thing to know is that, um, you know, there was a lot of worship of, um, of other gods, Apollos in particular, and there was um, some other gods that were associated with Apollos that they would worship in this city. And there was one in particular with a python snake that people would worship this python snake that was affiliated with Apollos. And Paul and um, his, his companions encounter this young girl who is possessed by demonic presence. And um, in act specifically, if you kind of look a little bit more, our translation doesn't say python, but if you look a little bit more closely in the Greek, it mentions this, this py mentions python, this snake god that she worshipped. And um, she um, begins to agitate the Apostle Paul and his friends. And I um, want to encourage you just to think for a moment. Um, I wrote in my notes that um, this, this girl was a fortune teller, and people made money off of her telling fortunes and foretelling the future. And I wrote in my notes, just kind of as a reminder, so we have some good theology, um, to remind you guys, because after first service, it was interesting, and I had two different people come up to me and say, hey, we've had some, um, we've had some interactions recently with what we felt like were demonic presence in our lives. And, you know, the Bible tells us that, hey, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in dark places. So when we feel spiritual battle taking place in our lives, it's not with other people, but there are demonic presences in, in our world. And that's where there's battles taking place. And so I wrote in my notes, because demons are created beings, not God themselves, demons cannot read minds, nor can they actually foretell the future. So because demons are not God, they can't read your mind and they can't foretell the future. But demonic activity can read and predict human behavior and attempt to steer events towards a previously predicted conclusion. So you have to know that demons can't read your mind and they can't foretell the future. But they can read human behavior and they can try to influence human behavior towards a predicted future. Okay. So that's what's kind of going on in this passage here. So Acts chapter 16, verse 1. And that's a little bit of a side note um, that I'm sharing. So one day, it says, as we were going down to the place of prayer. So there's four people, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. Luke is writing. That's why he says, uses the word we. One day, as we, the four of us, were going down to this place of prayer, um, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. 
She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So this girl was demonically possessed. She followed Paul and the rest of us, these other three guys, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. And they have come to tell you how to be saved. It was almost like this mocking that was going on. You know, but, you know, you think it was good PR. I mean, hey, she's telling everybody, you know, about um, that, that Paul and his companions were wanting to tell people about what it means to be saved, to be put in right relationship with God. She's telling everybody that, right? It says this went on, verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned um, and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly, it left her. Paul obviously was, he was prayed up. You know, he was in a good place spiritually. He knew the authority that God had given him. And so this girl had been um, exasperating him, antagonizing him and his, his companions. So he finally turns and takes authority over this demonic presence and casts the demon out of her. And it says it left her immediately. Her masters, verse 19 tells us though, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas, the other Jewish person that was with them, and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And the whole city, they said, the whole city is in uproar. These guys are wreaking havoc and, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're disturbing the peace. The whole city was in uproar because of these Jews, they shouted. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered Paul and Silas stripped and beaten with wooden rods. You would think that um, people, you know, would be glad. Like, oh, this girl's demonically possessed and influenced. They cast a demon out of her. She's set free from this bondage, from these chains in her life. And what's the response of people? Well, the response is they got upset. Right? And Paul and Silas, get, they get beat with, with wooden rods and they're severely beaten and thrown into prison. It's like they were stripped. And, you know, I mean, how many times have you ever had an experience, maybe not that severe, where you do something right that you felt like God was calling you or leading you to do? You do something right, and the next thing you know, everybody's turning on you. Has anybody ever had that kind of experience? Okay, about three of you. Okay, everybody else. All right, forget it. Right? That's what happens. I mean, Paul and Silas are doing the right thing. Uh, Caleb was, is, um, was telling, he's told me this story before, but I went and got the details so I didn't make sure I get it right. Um, he was telling, he had told me before when he was like a junior in high school, or in college, excuse me, he lived in Chicago. And, and he said that um, one time he got on the train and there was three international students that were on the train also with him. And he started sharing Christ with these guys and he said they just rode the train for two hours, himself and these three international students. And he just was able to share Christ with these, with these guys. And um, he missed his turn, or he missed where he was supposed to get off. I've been on it for hours. He missed where he was supposed to get off. So he had to get off, and he was on a platform. And he said a guy was all hunched over and came walking past him. And Caleb was like, oh, I wonder if I should be sharing Jesus with this guy. And um, Caleb Decide not to in that moment, but he said he started praying, okay? Now, this, again, I told you earlier, demons can't read your mind, right? But they can predict human behavior, and they watch people, 
And he, so Caleb said he was praying for this guy, and then Caleb got on the train. The guy got on the train with him. And he said, the next thing you know, the guy just starts screaming, cursing profanities. And Caleb said that the very things that he was thinking about and praying about, this guy starts shouting the things that Caleb was praying to himself. Now, again, I just told you demons can't read your mind. So it sounds like this demon's reading his mind. But Caleb's like, you know, this, de- this guy. And he said it just went on and on for like the next 20 or 30 minutes. You know, now, you know, Caleb said he never, he didn't lay hands on him or, you know, cast demons out of the guy or anything like that. But he was certain that that moment he'd had an experience with someone who was demonically possessed. I had a similar experience when I was uh, first in ministry. We went to Los Angeles. We were ministering in a place called Skid Row where there's a lot of drug addiction. And this has been years and years. I actually forgot about it until this morning. And I know that in that moment when we were down there, I had a person start calling out things, referring to me, you know, about my walk with Jesus Christ. And actually, now that I'm saying this, remember there's another person that was with us. And the guy kept, this person who was demonically possessed, kept on saying to this other person, you know, now this is pretty vague, but they're like, I know your secrets, I know your sins, you know. And, you know, people have these experiences, have these moments. Scripture says that we can have authority and take authority over these demons, and I've had other experiences where that's happened. Well, Paul, again, you know, he does the right thing, him and Silas. They cast a demon out of this girl, and all of a sudden people turn on them and um, beat them, throw them into prison, it says the jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. Now, I don't know about you, but if I do the right thing and people turn on me, I'm not going to be super happy. You know, I'm, my, my attitude, my response is not to be joyful. It's not to be happy. I'm like, this really stinks. God, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have listened to you. Maybe I shouldn't have responded in this way. And um, that's not what happens with, with the Apostle Paul and Silas. Verse 24 says, the jailer put them into the inner dungeon. He clamped their feet in the stocks, all for doing the right thing. Around midnight, that's why this is titled Miracles at Midnight. Around midnight, at the darkest hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, I want you to think about that. Their response to being beaten and flogged, stripped naked, and thrown into prison was to do what? to pray, and to sing songs. I don't know about you, but when bad things happen to me like that, my response is not generally to pray and sing songs. You know, I want to put on angry music. (laughs) You know, I can't think of the name of the group, and it's probably a good thing the Lord's not letting me think of the name of the group that I like to listen to when I get really angry, right? No, but (laughs) that's probably too, I don't know, not that one. I can't remember the name. So, but don't help me anymore. So, <laughs> so no, but you know, right? I mean, but Paul and Silas, like, they didn't put on angry music, right? They put on, they began to pray, and they began to praise God and to worship God in that moment um, when they were, you know, just desperate and when things, you know, were not going well. That was their response, to pray and to sing songs. Verse 26 tells us, in response to that, it says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. Now remember, again, it says that everybody was listening to them, right? Because people watch us. You know that when you're in a stressful, difficult moment, 
and difficult things are happening, you know that people are watching you. They want to see how are you going to react in that dark moment of your life. How are you going to react when you're being persecuted? How are you going to react, right, when you're being given a hard time and others know you probably didn't even do anything wrong. Matter of fact, you did the right thing. So suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. And all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now, we could just say, well, you know, that was just a coincidence, right? What do I always tell you guys? A coincidence is nothing more than what? God trying to get your attention, right? Some people say, well, it was just a coincidence. Well, was it a coincidence that there wasn't just an earthquake, but it says that it was shaken to its foundation and all the doors flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off? Paul and Silas' response to persecution was to pray. Their response to persecution was to sing songs of worship. And they experienced a miracle in that moment. And not only did they experience a miracle, but it was almost like it trickled out. And it was almost like it affected everybody else around them that they experienced a miracle also because of Paul and Silas's worshipful heart and attitude towards God. Now again, I don't know about you, but if those things had happened to me, I'm not sure that I would have responded in that kind of a way. It says the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Because he knew there was a law that said if you were a Roman soldier, and if you were guarding prisoners, and the, and the prisoners escaped, then you had to suffer the same consequence, whatever the consequence would have been for those prisoners, you had to suffer that consequence. So this guy's like, well, you know what, my life is over. I know that I'm going to have to suffer the consequence that these guys had. So it says that he drew his sword to kill himself. Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for light and he ran to the dungeon. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He must, I don't know if he was listening to that, to the, the demon-possessed girl that said, oh, this is, these guys, you know, serve God and they're, they want to tell you how to be saved. And this guy's like, oh, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to be do to be put in right relationship with God? Because I just witnessed this miracle. They replied, well, you must believe in the Lord Jesus. Trust him. Follow him. You must believe in Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your house. In other words, if they also believe in Jesus, you all will be saved. By trusting, by believing. Verse 32 says, And Paul and Silas shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. He's like, what do I have to do to be saved? They're like, well, believe in Jesus. Trust in him. And then they began to share with him and tell him more exactly what that means and what that looks like. Not just this jailer, but everybody in his household. I mean, this is, talk about, this is crazy times. Like 1 a.m. probably at this point in time. And Paul and Silas are sharing about Christ with this guy, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Even at that crazy hour of one in the morning or whatever, the jailer cared for them and he washed their... So all of a sudden this miracle takes place and here who was this guy who was in charge of, you know, um, keeping them locked up, has a transformation of heart, his life changes and he begins to care for these guys. He says he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. They didn't wait for the next class. They didn't wait for the next, you know, series or session. I mean, it's like, boom, it happened that very moment. 1 a.m., 2 a.m., these guys are getting 
saved and baptized. All of a sudden, verse 34, he brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, I want to give you a couple reminders this morning in particular. You should know this, but as a reminder, again, this is, we're talking about growing and maturing our walk with Christ. Reminder is this, right? Those who follow Jesus, Scripture tells us they will be persecuted. When we follow Jesus, we're going to be persecuted. Jesus tells us in John 15, if the world hates me, remember, or excuse me, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was with Paul in this moment when this is happening. Later on in life, Paul would write to young Timothy. And he would say, Timothy, I want to remind you, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's what Paul and that's what Silas were experiencing, right? They were experiencing persecution because of their decision to follow Jesus Christ. And those of us who are in this room this morning watching we're reminded because our world has different values. They're headed in a different direction. We are going to experience persecution. You know, I typically on Sunday mornings I get here, you know, pretty early. Um, typically about 5 a.m. And, you know, I study and I finish my notes and finish all my slides and all this kind of stuff. And, and I was here this morning and um, it was probably, I don't know, it was after 7. I was just about done with my slides, and, you know, I'm on my computer working, and all of a sudden my computer dings, and it's an email. And um, I thought, well, I better, I better check my email because it's probably one of you guys telling me something incredible. And so, um, so I checked my email, and remember, I'm thinking about, you know, maturity and how God uses persecution, um, our response to help us grow and mature. And all of a sudden my email pops up and dings, and there was a quote from a woman on my email. And this is the quote right here. This woman's husband was martyred for Christ. And this popped up on my screen. She wrote, no longer do you say, oh, I can't. Oh, this following Christ is scary. Oh, it's dangerous. Yes, it will be scary. I know what's going to happen next because it's in the scriptures. I was persecuted and you will be persecuted. Who wants that, she said. But I know there is one who will give strength to endure. From this woman, Tamara Birshira, I can't pronounce her last name, whose husband was martyred for Christ. Like 7 a.m. or 7.30 in the morning, this popped up on my screen. She's like, oh, I know I can endure because I know that Christ is the one who gives me the strength in the middle of this. Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus is talking a couple of passages of scripture here, and he talks about persecution and our response to it. Remember what Peter, or excuse me, what Paul and Silas, their response was. The response was to pray, and the response was to sing songs of worship to God. Jesus said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. He doesn't bless those who are persecuted for being an idiot, right? He blesses those who are persecuted for doing the right things, which is what Paul and Silas were doing. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. A great reward awaits you in heaven. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke records pretty much the same thing, same story, right? And Luke says at the end, verse 23, Jesus is talking. He says, 
when that persecution, when that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Leap for joy, Jesus says, for a great, rejoice, a great reward awaits you in heaven. Philippians chapter 1. Again, Paul is in the city called Philippi when he's being persecuted. And later on, he writes a letter to this same church. They're all watching what's happening. They're all seeing what's happening. And he says this, you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege, or in other words, you've been shown favor, it's been given freely as a gift. You've been, you've been shown the privilege of suffering for him. When we are in this struggle together, you have seen my struggle in the past, because that was just happening. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Paul presents our sufferings not as a curse, but as a burden. He says it's, a, it's, a, it's not a curse. It's a blessing for us. It's not a burden. One more. James chapter 1. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this. Consider it nothing but joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith, which happens in times of trials and suffering and persecution... Be assured that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It leads to spiritual maturity and inner peace. Like we're talking about growing up, bottom right, growing up and maturing, right? James is like the testing of our faith leads to spiritual maturity and inner peace. I mean, how does that happen? How, how, how are you led to inner peace when you're going through a difficult time? Well, Paul says in Philippians, again, that same letter, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, think on things that are good and true and pure and holy. Think about things that are, are of good report and excellent. Think about things that are praiseworthy. And, you know, honestly, if I don't respond in a time of persecution, like Paul and Silas, who were praying, talking to God, and who were um, worshiping God, if I turn on uh, Rage in the Machine instead... I'm probably not thinking about things that are good and pure and holy, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And in that moment, I'm probably not maturing, becoming more like Christ. Right? And I'm definitely, now I've never listened to Rage Against the Machine, but I don't probably, me, I definitely probably not going to want to be kind and forgiving and loving towards other people. Right? If I were Paul and Silas and that was me thrown into the prison for doing the right thing, for setting this girl who was demon-possessed, setting her free, I would be so angry. But Paul and Silas don't respond in anger. Right? They respond in prayer. They respond in worship. They don't turn on something that's just going to drive them to more anger. Now listen, I'm not, you know... Paul says in Philippians, think about things that are good and true and pure and holy and of good report. Things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I'm not telling you you can't listen to Rage in the Machine or whatever else you want to listen to. I'm not, we're not legalistic like that. And say, Oh, you know, everybody. But it's definitely not probably edifying for you. It's not good for you spiritually. And you're probably not going to grow up spiritually when that's what we feed ourselves. And I, 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 there have been lots of times where I've done that. I'm like, I don't want to put on, I don't want to listen to Gabe and Morgan. I want to listen to 
rage in the machine, you know. <laughs> I'm angry right now, and I want to be, be angry. And that's not growing up and maturing. That's not healthy for me spiritually. Now, don't judge me. Okay, so application here, a couple things. When we follow Jesus, people around us will persecute us. We already talked about this. However, we must sharpen our spiritual eyes to see that the persecution is the attack of the enemy, right, that Satan wants to discourage us. Thanks. Another thing. The way to respond to difficult times, persecution, the way to respond when those, when those moments in your life you feel like there's those chains around you is two things. is to do what Paul and Silas did, is to pray and to praise, right? Like, God, I'm, I'm going to, you know, when I'm having that difficult moment, that difficult season in my life, when I feel like there's chains around me, when I feel like I'm being attacked, attacked by the enemy, I'm going to pray. Because that's essential. That's like fundamental in my walk and my relationship with you is to pray. God, would you give me the love that you want me to have for other people? God, would you help me to forgive these other people around me? Because if I don't trust and rely, if I'm not in relationship with you, there's no way I'm going to be able to be kind and loving and forgiving towards other people. That's why this is about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Not just a bunch of rules. You know, I, I had someone, um, a student of ours that is, um, is out of town, and um, they texted me this week. And they're like, Pastor Brad, you know, you've talked about not being unequally yoked, right? Um, and, and, and I'm trying to decide what that means in my friendships. And I had to text her back and say, hey, you know, that's a great question. And so we had this long conversation, and I bottom line, I said, listen, you know, you need to pray about not only the person you're dating or not dating or whatever, but you need to pray about the friendships that you have in your life, about how closely you want to be in relationship with those other people who are not following Jesus Christ. And we had this long conversation. We don't want to just have this rule that says, oh, don't be unequally yoked. You can't, you know, have any kind of friends who are non-Christians. No, That's, you, it's a relationship with Jesus. So you pray about those things. When you're in persecution, when people are giving you a hard time and mocking you and teasing you and whatever, you pray about, God, how do you want me to respond to these people specifically? In that time of, of worship, too. Um, in those moments of darkness in your life. Matthew 5, Jesus said, I say, love your enemies. That's why we, we talked about that. Pray for those who persecute you. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. When you do that, you'll be growing and you'll be maturing. You'll be acting as God does. During the darkest hour, when the enemy has us bound, let us pray. Let us sing praises to God. Praise is, the, is warfare. God will loosen the chains and God will give us victory in those moments. Prayer isn't meant to be part of our relationship with Jesus. Prayer is our relationship with Jesus. It's the most important thing, the most important activity, because it is how we stay connected with Jesus. Prayer is how you grow. Jesus, I need to stay connected to you. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to worship. Two more, two more passages, two more slides. Matthew 6, 6. Jesus said, when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Now, I'm sure Paul and Silas, they weren't trying to put on a show. They were as private as they could possibly be in the middle of a dungeon. God says, when you do that, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. The last thing I want you to think about 
How does God reward me? Because it says, Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, I, God will reward you. How does God reward us when we have moments, when, we have, when we're praying like that? I wrote four things. I don't know about you, but I find when I'm having a difficult season in my life, difficult moment, when I pray and I worship, I experience the presence of God in my life. Someone say amen if that's been you. And so if you are in that difficult season, pray. And I believe that you will experience God's presence in your life. Also, in those moments when I pray, right, and I worship, I experience the peace of God that passes all. Like people are like, I don't know how you're so whatever. But you experience God's presence and you experience his peace in the middle of those moments. I think my perspective changes. When I pray and I respond and worship, I see things differently. I see people differently in those moments. I rem I'm reminded that they are not the enemy, right? And so my perspective changes in those moments. And lastly, I know that when I pray in those dark hours, those dark moments, that I experience the power of God. Sometimes my circumstances change, like Paul and Silas. Sometimes my perspective on those circumstances changes. And sometimes I experience the power of God and I see the lives of people change and transform. Remember, Paul and Silas did this, and this guy and his whole family is set free. People's lives change when I respond to God in that way in those moments. So I don't know about you, but I want to grow up. I want to continue maturing, becoming more like Christ. And God uses these difficult seasons and moments to help stretch me, to help me mature. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to pray for my friends that are here this morning and those that are listening online this morning that are in a dark moment in their life. They're experiencing difficult circumstances. Um, others in this room may not even be aware um, or those who are listening online in their home may not even be aware. But I pray for my friends that you would come and they would begin to experience your presence as we turn to you in prayer and in worship, Jesus. God, help us to have the strength, the endurance, the discipline to turn to you during those moments. Not to fill our lives with bitterness and rage and anger. But Lord, would we experience your peace? I know that people are watching. Maybe you're here this morning and I want to take a moment. And if you are here and um, I'm not going to ask you obviously to come up. But just, just so I can pray for you I can pray for you specifically. If you're here and you're going through a kind of a dark season in your life where um, you feel like you're being persecuted, um, challenged, just kind of raise your hand. Just, you know, just raise your hand up a little bit and I'll pray for you this morning. Okay. Yep. All across the room. Yeah. Lots of people. Yeah, lots of people. Okay. Father, you see the hands of my friends that are here this morning that have their hands raised. Jesus, again, help us to know that it's not a coincidence we're here, but it's a divine appointment. God, I didn't pick this passage. This was picked out months, months and months ago. But you knew this time, this moment, that we would be here and that I would be speaking on this passage. It's not a coincidence, Jesus. But you're here to encourage your people. 
So may my friends that are here and those that are watching this morning online, may they feel encouraged by your presence, Jesus. Again, help us to continue to turn to you and that we would grow and mature and become more like you, Jesus.